Hello everyone, I'm Tori. And I'm Kariana. And welcome to God and All Things, a special edition episode that we're doing today. So we always discuss books and films and plays and gospel principles we can learn from each. And today we have a special edition because we just went to the Utah Shakespeare Festival, which we've been doing for three years now and absolutely love doing together. Doing meeting attending, not <laughs> being in the plays. Sorry, if you were hoping. Neither of us act. <laughs> in Shakespeare. <laughs> no, no, but we do enjoy watching. Yes. Um, and we wanted to talk about our experience there, um, maybe rank. We saw six of the seven plays, so we'll probably each give our ranking. And so we'll spend the first part of the, this doing that. And then the second part, we're going to focus in, in on one specific play, that one being Romeo and Juliet. We did go in just kind of wanting to choose whichever play stood out to us the most. And Romeo and Juliet, no surprise did. And as far as gospel principles go, it just felt right for us to do. So the second half of this episode will be focused on that. But first, let's just discuss what we saw. So just because I want to test her, I'm going to let Kariana Cor- <laughs> discuss which ones that we okay, saw. Here's the thing. I <laughs> Wait, discuss them, them how? Well, like, just tell them what we saw. What we saw. Yes, just list tell them. them off. Okay. Yeah. So... I'm going to do them in order, because otherwise I'm going to get confused. (laughs) (laughs) So we saw... (laughs) There's a reason Tori's testing me. It's because I'm blonde. (laughs) (laughs) So we saw Coriolanus. That was the first one. And then A Midsummer Night's Dream. And this might not be in order already. (laughs) Nope, you're doing great. Oh, good. (laughs) Time in at Athens. It's not pronounced Timon. Yes. And <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. And then the last day we ended with, uh, we didn't watch any Shakespeare our third day there. It was uh, Emma the Musical and the Play That Goes Wrong. So lots of fun. Yes, it was great. Great fun. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to, let's each rank. Let's just start from the bottom. We'll each give like our bottom and then we'll each give our next I think they're probably going to be about the same. It might be pretty boring. (laughs) Except, okay, I did this for my YouTube channel as well and I was like, I like my, there's my bottom one that's for sure a bottom one. But then the next three, it just kind of depends on my mood. If I have to throw Emma and play that goes wrong in there, it definitely gets more difficult. The four Shakespeare I did, yeah. I feel like those three kind of just depends on like what I'm looking for in them. Right. So I'll probably still give the same one I gave for YouTube, but I have to explain a little bit okay. on some of them. All right. So bottom, I think we both know what the bottom one is for both of us. It Unfortunately. Was Coriolanus. Yes. Yes. It was definitely Coriolanus, our first one, which I guess yeah. it was good that it all went uphill after that. That's true. That's but true. um there were good things about it. There were yes. good and the uh-huh. actors were phenomenal. Yes. There was it was definitely a situation where it was nothing wrong with the performance itself. Yes. It was primarily just not to our taste. Yes. Um one of the we got our little souvenir program that was ridiculously expensive <laughs> so that we could see all of the actors. For some reason in the normal program this year, they don't have the pictures of the actors they and did stuff. Last it was year. kind of annoying. <laughs> so that's why we got the souvenir program. So we would be able to see them and kind of see what plays they're all in and compare and contrast a little bit better. Well, we got that, and in there, there's also a few director's notes about each of the plays, and the director's note for Coriolanus actually said it's one of the most (laughs) testosterone-driven Shakespeare plays, (laughs) and 
we are just it's very political and war focused yeah. and that's just not really our thing either of us yeah i don't know i mean i'm not gonna lie it kind of sounds to me like a play i should enjoy really <laughs> yes. yes i guess yeah like a lot of the politics and stuff yeah is i'm very political and i love political discussions and i have no problem with a bunch of guys on stage beating each other up like right. that's a lot of fun <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the two main guys who were beating people up. So yes. <laughs> she wasn't sure originally that she did on most, <laughs> but we learned. Oh, I she embraced them. Were a little iffy, yes. but then I was like, over time, mm, you're like, oh. um, <laughs> they were both pretty big, which they were helps. big dudes. Big dudes. Yes, so. it does help. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, but uh, it was. I felt validated actually because I was I felt probably more lost during p- the first part than I have in any other show that we've uh, seen. Okay, but yeah. then during the discussion the next day, the doctor Dr. Smith Bernstein leads the discussions about all of the plays and um, she actually mentioned like it's such a hard play to follow at the yes. beginning and I was uh-huh. like I just needed it wasn't that I was like it's been a year since I watched Shakespeare it's like actually so I think that was the main thing for me because I enjoyed the second part a lot more but the first part I was just Mm -hmm. like what what (laughs) like why are you mad and why are you mad and why are you doing this and why is any of this happening and I had at intermission I read the summary and there were definitely things I had missed Mm -hmm. I had gotten like the basic gist (laughs) but but there were things where I was like oh okay that makes more sense and then the second half I thought was really really interesting so so I I think some of the concerns are abstract enough especially because Shakespeare was writing about things he didn't fully understand on the political front and things that don't relate to us at all yes Uh (laughs) and a language that sometimes can be dense yeah so yeah it's difficult it is is an interesting one um but definitely is interesting it is interesting yeah and like if you want a good political discussion of a play the Mm -hmm. um in the seminar dr smith bernstein who we just mentioned talked about how it was hitler's favorite shakespeare play but it was also who's the other one she mentioned brecht brecht yeah brecht 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 okay yes and he was a communist well socialist communist i can't remember exactly where he he fell i think she said progressive liberal communist okay and he was a contemporary of hitler's who was exiled from germany because he was a jew but it was both of their favorite plays yes and it's because it hits on very like different styles of government and it does at least especially in this performance they did a really great job of balancing those two ideas so either way you could see both sides but neither side was completely in the right about their the way they were treated which makes every character really unlikable which makes it a really difficult Mm -hmm. play to be like that was so cool Uh (laughs) because you didn't like anyone (laughs) yeah absolutely like the only one who's supposed to be likable who i did find likable on some level is what is menenius menenius yeah Yeah. that sounds right and it was played by a woman and she she She's so good. She is so good. <laughs> She's such she, a good she was there last year as well in we The Tempest her. and did an incredible job. But we discussed in the seminar that really Coriolanus, the main character, is meant to be more likable because Menenaeus likes him. Yeah. But and she Coriolanus described Men- is just Men- not. Men- no, I lost it. Men- 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 
yeah Middle whatever layers. Um, <laughs> as the ultimate moderate so he, she he she is like the moderate character in the show yes. and so you like her and so you like Coriolanus because she likes Coriolanus and so yeah it's a weird yes. but other than that Coriolanus is kind of awful so yes, he's very <laughs> very easily drawn to anger and it's interesting because yes. they also discuss like PTSD in the play and how that plays into his yeah. so he's empathetic yes but it's, yeah the he whole just has a quick weird. temper and it makes it hard and very judgmental yes. of people's situation in life which makes it hard too so yeah Anyway, cool. yes, definitely the bottom. I would say for me, <sighs> the next one by a lot. <laughs> I'm like the jump between Coriolanus and this one is pretty big. Not okay. like huge. Again, we liked Coriolanus, just not. It wasn't fully to our taste. Mm-hmm. But I would say the play that goes wrong, just because it's not like it's a very thought provoking, interesting play. Yeah, it's more of a comedy that's so much fun, and I love it. It's it makes you just die laughing. And I loved learning about the script and how vague it is. So knowing how much the actors have to, the actors and the set designers have to kind of create on their own is really fun. But I don't necessarily feel like there was anything interesting about the play itself. Yeah, yeah, it's such a hard... I think I probably have the same three that I would rotate around okay, for yeah. this spot mm-hmm. as you. Because it's... My first thought is Timon of Athens. But yes. then it's like probably more often I'm in the mood for something thought-provoking and interesting like Timon of Athens than just laughing yes. at the play that uh-huh. goes wrong. And... those kinds of plays those kind of farcical plays kind of get old for me after a while i definitely laugh a lot more during the first act than the second yes uh because after a while it just becomes redundant it gets repetitive and and it gets boring and i'm like okay when is this play gonna end like yeah yeah, i get it every and they get more dramatic and more extreme Mm -hmm. and more things are just falling off because at first it's very clever like they they have a lot of clever jokes in the first act but then after that it's just like chaos people falling and fighting and things everywhere and it's and i'm like this isn't funny anymore like i like cleverness Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) so yeah i would have it'd probably be one of those though i don't know it it is a mood thing because sometimes you just want to like go laugh at something and sometimes you want a descent into madness (laughs) yes for sure uh do i have to choose one yes i just put both of them there You have to choose one. Oh, man. Okay. It's different kinds of enjoyment. Sorry, don't make me do this. You have to. You have to. Better play. Better work of literature. Think of it that way. Better. Okay. Well, uh, then yes. Play that goes wrong. Okay. Whatever will get you there. If we're talking about better work of literature, play that goes wrong is the bottom. Yes. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. True. True. But in this moment, if you have to In this moment. Yes. No. Timon of Athens was really interesting and fascinating. Okay. And so, if you know, if if that's what we're going to do for slot number five, then <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, play we'll stick play wrong. that goes okay. wrong there. All right. I need to do mine before you because I haven't thought I know, them through. True. So you're going to influence my decisions. Because <laughs> right. I think you influenced that one. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, so, yeah, go for number four then, which I think we know what it is, but. Because you just basically said that's it true. Is. That's true. But now I have to compare Diamond of Athens and Emma. Yes. <laughs> I really don't know between them either. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I um am just the I'm this kind of person. Okay, you're about to learn something about me. I 
I have crushes on on guys in two of the plays. <laughs> I don't know which, like, the, my feelings for the men in the plays are impacting <laughs> my overall enjoyment. I love it. I think that's Great. such a high reason the play that goes wrong was even, like, high up. Because <laughs> I just loved that one guy so yes. much. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. So I have to, like, battle that out of my... <laughs> my consideration um again it's so like you know emma is just a light-hearted fun musical but it's really just not that i listen i listen to the music today and even the music just isn't that remarkable mm-hmm. you know yeah, it really isn't <laughs> so i would say that jane austen's work is a fabulous work of literature but the play is pretty simplistic and I, I think the music is fun, but, like, I don't listen to it and go, why didn't this make it to Broadway? Like, um, yeah. I understand why I didn't make yeah. it to Broadway. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was funny and it was delightful and it was fun. And Timon was like, whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what's yeah, happening absolutely. here? And so it's just so... But then the guy who played Timon... <laughs> <laughs> He did a great job. He really, he really did, Jenny. It's not just, yes. it's not just, looks. it's not he just attractive. Did. He yeah. was so such a phenomenal actor. Oh my goodness, he's amazing. I hate this game. <laughs> oh no, I really do actually need you to go for it, <laughs> even if it just means I copy all of yours because I can't, because he can't do it. Okay, no, but I got. No, it feels silly to to choose Emma's. Well, I don't know. Except when I compare Timon and Play That Goes Wrong, it's like difficult. But then when I compare Timon and Emma, it's like equally as difficult, yeah. you know? Like mm-hmm. I really... There's some similar reasons why it's as difficult. Yeah. So I really... The more I think about it, Timon was really hard for me in the moment. The second half. The first half yeah. I thought was going to be... Up. After at intermission, I thought it was going to be my favorite one of the mm-hmm. weekend. But then the second half kind of took away a lot for me while I was watching. But I think it's one where the more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, that was actually really cool and really interesting. Mm-hmm. And we logicked through some of my problems with it, too. Yeah. And so... Mm-hmm. Those are kind of gone. So I would probably, like you were saying at the beginning, it definitely depends on mood because, like, I have a musical soul. (laughs) (laughs) And I love me a good musical. But but Timon, I would say, is better. So probably number four, I would put Emma. Because it's not, like, really as good. Yes. And then Timon as number three. As number three. Okay. I don't know. Every time I compare Timon specifically with something else, it gets better and better in my head. So I'm struggling a lot with it. Yeah, I I actually did do the same order. Um, I think if I were to go solely based on my overall just enjoyment of it, I would put Emma above Timon because mm-hmm. I think like the experience wise, yeah. I had a fun time. There was the more whole time. fun. There being was nothing there. that I was like bored at or anything. Whereas Timon, yeah, the second half kind of dies off because it's all pretty much in one setting. Yeah, and it's mostly Timon himself just giving talking. monologues. Yeah, and so it's interesting, like you said, to discuss and think about later. And so I do. think 
think it's a more thought-provoking play. Then Emma is as a play, again, yeah, not including the novel, just as a play, but I do think I enjoyed myself throughout Emma. So I did, when I did my book two, one, do the same order as you. I did okay. Emma and then Timon as my third. But like you said, they were both really good and Emma just has a special place in my heart. <laughs> like, we'll, you'll hear next week, actually, we did do, record an episode of Emma. So not about the musical, just about the novel. And I, yeah, I really enjoy that novel, but yeah, I feel like Timon just is more interesting to discuss and stuff. And there were enough things in the Emma musical that didn't quite match <laughs> up with my taste and like what I like about Emma yeah. that um, it didn't like ruin the experience. I still thought it was amazing. I just, it did take down my enjoyment slightly yes. because I like had certain characters that I would have liked to see yes. a different characterization for and stuff, especially with Mr. Knightley. And yeah. if it were just how we imagine the book, Emma yes. would probably be the top for Seriously, both of us. Let's be <laughs> but yeah, for that case. But yeah, Time in of Athens, if you haven't heard of that one, it's a much less popular one, but it's very similar to Coriolanus in that it follows a man who gets betrayed by his countrymen and ends up being very mistreated and in a very poor situation by the end. But Timon, at least in this production, is a lot more likable. It was mentioned in the seminar that in a lot of other productions, he's not as likable. Yeah. But I felt like in this one, he was very likable. He was just a very giving person, very much a philanthropist at the beginning. And then by the end, his friends all betray him when he loses all his money and then he lives in a cave. But it's kind of satirical because the cave's like right by the city. It's not like he left that far. But like it's a very interesting conversation because he becomes someone who is just very bitter and hateful and he dies alone. Spoiler alert. Like by his own doing for no reason. Yeah. So like by the end, he isn't as likable because he becomes such a bitter bitter and horrible person cynical yeah. person unfortunately but yeah it's a very interesting play for sure yes. did like it enough to uh get the souvenir shirt yes if you're watching on youtube you can see her check it out <laughs> so yes that was great and then number two i think we're both on the same page on that as well yeah. it was midsummer, midsummer night's dream it was great it, i really oh i don't have even much else to say about it because i just everybody did a great job so good it was so good and the um, actress who played Puck slash Robin Goodfellow was really amazing, yeah. and and Helena, I would say Helena, she was the other yes, standout those were the actress for me for sure. But really, all of them did incredible. All there wasn't a single great. one that I didn't like. So. I really liked all of them. It was and just yeah. fun to watch. It's yeah, just it was a just good magical time. and funny, and yeah, very entertaining. There's that one was scene. Good. You have the player scene that I don't like. Oh, yes. At the end, we have the players (laughs) who are performing their play and the way they didn't, um, Kariana in particular didn't love. I didn't mind it too much. If it had been half the length, I could have enjoyed it. I was going to say, I can totally understand (laughs) not loving it because it did drag. After a while, I was like, okay, this should have ended forever again. Go. But you could tell the actors were having fun with it, which does kind of help. (laughs) They're just enjoying themselves. So, and it was pretty funny and 
good. So yeah. anyway, and then number one is the one we're talking about, Romeo, oh, and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, um, we heard lots of people say it was their favorite performance of Romeo and Juliet they've ever seen. It was our first time seeing it live, and so we don't really know how we feel about it being the best when <laughs> it's our first one. Like it's kind of cool to be like, yeah, our very first one was amazing. Was apparently, great show. But then it's like, is it all downhill from here? <laughs> like we're never gonna have one nearly as good yeah. because yeah, they just really brought to life all of the side characters so well in this performance and they did a great job really focusing on a lot of the family aspects in it especially with Juliet they got just so up and personal with the emotions involved and all of the speeches and stuff very honest with yeah their portrayal of the emotions involved and it really brought up the theme brought out the theme of forgiveness which is spoiler alert what we're going to talk about today but they did a really good job of really bringing all of that to a head. They also did a good job of making it very relatable to us in our situation because in the play, a lot of it is taking place kind of towards the tail end of a plague that's been going through. And so, and that influences aspects of the plot. And of course, we just recently had COVID. And so they were able to play with a lot of those relatable experiences and yeah it was just beautifully done i guess the director it was her first time directing romeo and juliet yeah but she has been in romeo and juliet a lot and so she has a lot of passion i think they said that it's her favorite shakespeare play right and so she has it was very much a passion project for her so i think that added a lot to the experience for us as well that was really really great i think both of us walked away going that was a phenomenal production like we both recognized Mm -hmm. it so it was like really cool to then get to the play seminar the next day and have everybody say that was the greatest Romeo and Juliet I've ever seen and we were like oh like we could tell you know it it wasn't just just us it was was a step above Mm -hmm. oh my goodness well so well done so so well done so yeah there's our ranking apparently it matches exactly Exactly. (laughs) together how surprising I I will say I don't know if every year it would have been like that like last year there was differences but this year I think we've pretty much agreed on our top shows the past two years Uh we have but we've had matching t-shirts I guess I should mention if you're not if you're just (laughs) listening or can't tell i'm wearing my romeo and juliet shirt usually we get matching shirts and this time we got two different ones but not necessarily obviously our ranking is the same it was just more because of different styles basically (laughs) that's true i didn't love the design of the Uh romeo and juliet shirt and also i will okay like i'll throw out um the actor who i've mentioned from time of athens is actually in the tv series the chosen which is my favorite tv series and i'm obsessed with it and i love him and so part of it was kind of like an homage to you know that experience yes, and getting to enough. see him yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> so i like the design a little bit better and then i loved him so it was kind of that was kind of Why part of it. it but I did them. get a Romeo and Juliet pin. Yes. It matches <laughs> my I loved it. design on my yes. shirt. I like the little great. balcony pin. So, it's yeah, cute. We love it. So if you can't see it, I'll tell you the Romeo and Juliet design is the balcony with uh, daggers or swords for the little posts for the balcony. And then it says Romeo and Juliet underneath. And then the Timon of Athens that Karyon is wearing has a cave, which is where Timon ends yes. up 
dying. And his buried treasure. Out. Yes, his buried tra- <laughs> treasure. But anyway, yes, if you haven't been to Utah Shakespeare, Shakespeare Festival or any Shakespeare Festival, definitely go. They're always so fun. Utah Shakespeare Festival is special because they actually do seminars every morning. They spend like two hours talking about the plays that they did the previous day and it's just a Q&A and then they'll have seminars for costumes and props and Q&As with actors. It's just a lot of fun. Awesome stuff. Um, Yes, we absolutely love it. They have some good restaurants down there as well. And it's a very small town in Cedar City, Utah. (laughs) It's a small town, but it's always a joy. So um, so yes, the other play that they're doing is A Raisin in the Sun, which we weren't able to see, unfortunately. But that is another one that if you're interested in going this year, they'll be going through October. And then next year, let's test and see if I can remember what they're doing. Okay, good. I'm glad you're I'm not going to test you. Um, I actually went through it with my dad so i probably know all of them really well i got it i I can't yeah i can picture all of them so we'll see (laughs) so next year they're doing four shakespeare plays again so they're doing taming of the shrew much ado about nothing the winter's tale and henry the eighth and then they're doing three other plays. They're not doing any musicals next year for so mostly dumb. it sounds like for budget reasons. Yeah. But they're doing the 39 Steps, which is a murder mystery play. And then they're doing, oh, I don't know if I can remember <laughs> the titles of the other two. Yeah. I remember what they were about. Do you remember the titles yeah, of the other two? Yeah, Silent Sky and the Mountaintop. Okay, and Silent Sky is about a female astronomer making her way in the world, basically. And then upon on the mountaintop just the mountaintop the mountaintop that one is about the last few days of martin luther king jr's life so very interesting all of those if you're curious about going next year we of course will be for sure we're excited already it is now a tradition officially it's been three three years, years. three makes a pattern yes <laughs> i've so been waiting for this it, day <laughs> and it sounds better when we say i go every year this is our third year as opposed <laughs> to this is my second year we go every um, year yes. like twice <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds better and yes. it's great so and we love i'm a henry the eighth fan and yes, we love much to do, do about like nothing tutors. and so like we yes. know we already have interest mm-hmm. in the show and i've been very excited. interested in winter's tale i haven't read it or anything but it's always been one that i've been interested in there you go. and then taming of the shrew i'm just curious to see how i feel about it and how yeah. they do it because it is such a controversial one for yeah. this time period for our current time period due to its subject matter so i'm curious to see how they combat that and then i i've considered it for a long time my least favorite shakespeare play because of that so we'll see how it goes i'm interested yeah so with that all being said let's get into our discussion on forgiveness within romeo and juliet so i will start with a very brief summary i think pretty much everybody pretty much knows what it's about but I'll just kind of give some keywords for what's going on so it is set in Verona and I believe the 1500s I want to say I'm not sure anyway but there are feuding families there are two families who battle each other and do not like each other then amongst these families we end up having star-crossed lovers Romeo and Juliet who are in either side of this feuding situation and things look happy for them until they don't anymore (laughs) things go really well for a really long time for a little bit of the play and then things turn a corner as expected when these families are feuding families 
So, yeah, personal experience-wise, I had, I think my first introduction to Romeo and Juliet was actually in fifth grade. We did Are a little... Are you ready? Are yes, you so ready for we this did, news? <laughs> we did a little, like, hour-long, 45-minute-long adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, and I got to play Juliet. <gasps> I know. Just my claim <laughs> to fame dar. is playing Juliet in my fifth-grade performance. And, um, yeah, so that was my first introduction, solid introduction to Romeo and Juliet. I mean, I feel like I recognized the names by then, but, like, that was my first, like, intro to the actual story. And then I read it, the full thing, in ninth grade, and I remember not loving it for a lot of the reasons that a lot of people don't love it. I also was just kind of, like, I've just never been a super, like, romance-loving girl. Like, I do enjoy romance in other things, but I'm not one to be like, oh, yes, I love the lovey-dovey stuff. Like, that's mm-hmm. not me. And since that was such a connotation with Romeo and Juliet, I just wasn't that into it for a long time. And then as time went on, I kind of came to understand literature better and understood some other aspects of Romeo and Juliet as a play. And I started to really like it a lot more as I heard, like, people discuss it or watch videos about it and stuff and then it's never still been my favorite and I don't think I would say it's my very favorite even now but I think after watching it performed I would say it's pretty up there for me like I realized what a masterpiece it really is and even after seeing the play and then yesterday we just got home yesterday (laughs) when we're recording this and I just last night flew through the play itself I didn't read it straight through but I did skim through the whole thing and just what I read I was like wow this is actually just really good (laughs) so I like I said I don't think it would be a favorite favorite but it would definitely be up there for me yeah where it used to not be necessarily uh yeah I don't know the first time I read it was in ninth grade but obviously I knew the story before that so I really like couldn't say when or where yeah. I was at. I mean, it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah. the names pop so, up in all sorts yeah, of things. It's Taylor Swift. That was probably my first real introduction to Romeo and Juliet. Love story. Love story. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have anything to say about before that, but we read it in ninth grade. I hated it. <laughs> I would say this was definitely my claimed least favorite Shakespeare play mm. for a long time. The problem being. <laughs> I've never given a lot of effort to Shakespeare. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I just, I don't know. I remember enjoying it in 10th grade. I do remember reading something and actually writing a note to my teacher, like, congratulations, you actually helped me enjoy Shakespeare. So I wasn't like, no, I hate all Shakespeare, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I couldn't... I think back then I hated the fact that they fell in love at first sight. As I got older, I kind of stopped caring about that because, you know, like you do you. But yeah. <laughs> um, but as I got older, the big thing for me was the their youth, you know, like I can get behind love at first sight and like, you know, killing yourself for someone that you're in love with and feeling that desperate. But like at 13, not as much. Like yeah. it is really hard mm-hmm. for me to buy, you know? Yeah, for sure. So that was the main thing. And then just like 
It's just so dramatic. It is very dramatic. <laughs> and I'm, I am a romance person. I have a romantic heart and I love long proclamations of love, but, <laughs> which is probably why I got over the love at first sight thing yes. first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> as soon as I got over my young angsty teenager phase of like, that's not real love. And I was like, man, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little, a little overly dramatic where I'm like, you know, knowing what it feels like to be in love and knowing what it feels like to feel heartbroken, you know, like I've experienced all of those emotions that go with that. And I've even felt like, what is the point in even being here anymore? You know, like I, I've experienced that to some small level, but it, that to me is what takes more than a day, you know? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, but yeah, no, this just, I'm like, man, it was it's just so good. Who even cares? You know, right. it was just so good. I judge the goodness of a play based on how often my mouth is open during it. <laughs> during really amazing and intense scenes of plays and musicals and (laughs) and my first opera that I went to a couple of weeks ago the more time I spend with like my jaw down the more I'm like that play was amazing (laughs) and this definitely had that where I was just like I don't how's she doing that how's she doing that how is he how do they Yeah. And it was just, oh my gosh, the way that just, even when I couldn't understand every word they were saying, you could feel everything they were saying. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't read the play in preparation for this because I just can't get myself to spend a lot of time reading Shakespeare still. I can respect that. You know, it's a play and I I love them as plays. Mm -hmm. And so that's just what I'm I'm going to stick to. That's what they're meant to be loved anyway. That's what it's meant to be. So I'm going with it. So those are our personal experiences. Now we'll move over to a little quick definition of our gospel principle, which like I said earlier, is forgiveness. Fantastic. Yes. So forgiveness, I kind of made a joke to Tori before we started talking. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just like summarize forgiveness really fast. (laughs) Like like the most vague thing in the world and such a complex topic, but a beautiful one where it really stems from is our Savior's atonement, right? Like he died for us to forgive us of all of our sins and gave him the opportunity to understand us and to be able to forgive us perfectly, you know, and he made that sacrifice so we wouldn't have to be punished for the sins that we commit. And I think that that is a huge reason and example for us for forgiveness, you know, because we've been forgiven, we're expected expected to forgive everyone else, you know, and we don't have to die for everyone. And we, we can't understand everybody's hearts the way that he does, but we also don't have to die for them. And so, you know, it's kind of this like, we take what we can get and we are expected to forgive people. And I think that we're enabled through the atonement because of that. And um, just to read a scripture that I think is just great. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I think that that's just a great, you know, God forgave us because of what Christ did. And so we forgive others. And it's also because he forgave us that he enables us to forgive us. It's just this kind of beautiful circular yes. thing that goes yeah. around, you know. Yeah, an eternal idea of Yes. And it's a little, it's paradoxical sometimes. It, uh, you know, it's really difficult, but also 
can be made easy and it's really frustrating but also relieving and it's so it's just Mm -hmm. it's an interesting complicated beautiful principle it is it really is and so i think what i'm going to do is start by reading the prologue of the play because i think it describes exactly where these two families are at and how they're not forgiving each other Mm. and how that lack of being able to forgive ends up causing the tragedy within the play so the play starts off with two households both alike in dignity in fair verona where we lay our scene from ancient grudge break to new mutiny where civil blood makes civil hands unclean from forth the fatal loins of these two foes a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents strife the fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents rage which but their children's end not could remove is now the two hours traffic of our stage the which if you with patient ears attend what here shall miss our toil shall strive to mend so if you did not understand that (laughs) it's basically talking about how these two households have this ancient grudge that's caused bloodshed it's caused a lot of heartbreak and from these two lines come these two people who fall in love And it's only the death of these two innocent children that allows them to finally overcome that anger and be willing to forgive and reconcile themselves. And so that's what the play is going to end up showing. So it says right from the beginning that the problem that's going on in this play that causes the tragedy is a lack of forgiveness. It's a lack of being able to move on. And we don't even find out what even is the problem, which I think is very telling about it, is it's so... It's become just a deep-rooted poisonous anger that just drives everything in this play forward, and we have no idea where it came from. In this particular production, we have Lord Capulet and Lord Montague. These are the two families. And Lord Capulet was played in such a way that he was very kind and came across as very generous and good but he clearly had a temper and so someone in the seminar mentioned you know i think i know why you guys ended up fighting because you have quite a temper when we had we had our actor seminar and it was actually lord and lady capulet that were um, part of that for us and that was yeah something in the play in this performance at least that kind of showed that but either way we don't actually know what it was I'm sure it was not a one-sided thing. Oh, no. (laughs) It never is. Yeah. It never is. So then we get into this, and really the first scene is just showing the feud that's going on and how deep-rooted it is, because it even goes to the servants of each of these families feel the need to fight each other. And we're introduced early on to Benvolio, who is Romeo's friend and part of the Montague family, and Tybalt, who is Juliet's cousin, and he's on the Capulet side of this feud. And it's interesting because Benvolio is very much a peacekeeper, like he's trying to not let this become a thing, but Tybalt isn't having it, like he wants to fight him. So we have this whole feud that comes to a head, they're fighting in the streets, and then the prince of Verona comes 
and tells them off and is like, if I see this anymore, like, you guys are going to be in trouble. A couple of things before we move on, one from me and one from Kariana. I wanted to mention there's this quote from the prince when he is, he, she in our edition, is reprimanding them after they begin to fight and he, she mentions that they have thrice disturbed the quiet of our streets. So this feud isn't just about the families anymore, it's impacting the whole city. And like we mentioned earlier, they're in a state of plague and so there's a lot of quarantine going on. It's also just a time period when there's not really anything where you can go very easily. You kind of are just in your city. And so the fact that they've all been closed off means that everything these two families do, especially because they're powerful families, impacts everybody else. And so that lack of forgiveness, that anger is poisoning more and more people the longer it goes and the further it's pushed through this family. That's a good point. That it's not just yourself that you're impacting or just the person you're angry at. Mm -hmm. It's important to remember. Yeah, I also think it's interesting. So the way that they played it was they had the they had the feuding the feud going on like down below and then they had like the upstairs, the balcony. (laughs) Um but you know right here it wasn't the balcony. And the prince kind of comes out on the balcony and is like looking down at them, reprimanding them. And as you were describing the scene, I was kind of going back and imagining it and thinking, you know, it's kind of Uh, almost a godlike character right you know this is the person who's calling for an end to the fighting and above everybody else and kind of telling these families what to do and what is expected of them made me think of the scripture i'm terrible with uh references but the person who doesn't forgive has the greater sin right Mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting that like it doesn't matter what somebody else did to you if you don't forgive that person you're Mm -hmm. actually the one greater at fault and i think that that's would be helpful for them to remember and Benvolio you know is kind of trying to keep the peace and do that but Tibble is like you were saying not having it and so it's kind of this interesting obviously neither of them are forgiving (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's uh kind of interesting to think about like who who is sinning here like it's not the other person for what you think they did wrong it's you for not forgiving yeah yeah I really like that I um besides looking at the play itself I did read through the talk from October 2022 by sister Kristen M. Yee and it's called Beauty for Ashes the Healing Path of Forgiveness and she talks about how the Lord requires us to forgive for our own good, which I think mm. builds off what you said as well. Like we're required to forgive because it is good for the other person just because it can be very relieving and loving towards yes. that person. But it also is very healing for ourselves if we're willing to do that. And God enables us to but she does go on to say but he does not ask us to do it without his help his love his understanding so there is divine love involved in the process of forgiveness which it is a process it's not something you just do i mean sometimes it can be depending on the situation but it can be very much a process and god's going to walk with you through it if you let him and at this point none of them are really letting themselves except We next move into meeting Romeo and Juliet. And I think it's very interesting because when we first meet Romeo, he is just very depressed because his the love of his life as of right now, Rosalind, 
is not paying him any heed and wants it sounds like she wants to be a nun i think <laughs> like she's not interested in getting married at all and he's just very brokenhearted over this and benvolio's like dude come on like get over it but one of the first things he says is oh me what fray was here yet tell me not for i have heard it all here's much to do with hate but more with love why then O oh bra brawling love oh loving hate oh anything of nothing first create oh heavy lightness serious vanity misshapen chaos of well-seeming forms so he you get the feeling that he's not really into the feud like it is part of his how he's growing up is surrounded by it and so it's not like he likes the capulets or wants to get over this whole feud but he just isn't as concerned about it he comes in after this feud at the beginning this fight at the beginning and sees whatever's left over from it and his reaction is like what the heck is going on and then he's like uh it doesn't matter i have other concerns <laughs> and so you see right there that he has something in him that's willing to move on and not be so focused on it as everybody else is especially yeah. people like tybalt and a few of the other characters and then we also meet juliet who is very similar like she's just very light-hearted she's just kind of especially as a young girl like she has other concerns with marriage and her family and you don't get the feeling that she's all that concerned about the feud either throughout uh, especially when they meet each other like she's aware but she moves on pretty fast past it so then they do meet they meet at a party that's actually at Juliet's house and Romeo shows up because he hears that Rosalind's going to be there and he's trying to win her heart but of course as soon as he sees Juliet he completely forgets about Rosalind which is just kind of humorous but which is another complaint yes. i've heard people say about the play yes <laughs> but i think it's meant to be kind of funny and also showcase that they are young like yeah. we talk a lot about that time period them treating like these teenagers young teenagers as adults and how wrong that is but like they still had an understanding of that they really were young and that a lot of girls that age couldn't even have children yet like they were aware enough to be sensitive of that marriage just often is a business transaction for them more a business transaction than anything else and so even in Shakespeare's days they're still going to be aware that 13 12 and 15 are going to be young ages in the adaptation we saw they actually have her be 15 turning 16 and then romeo would be a year or so older than that so about 17 so they make it very clear they're a little older which i liked because i think it brought forward the concept of what it would feel like looking at people that age because i think for us of 16 17 year old is similar to how they would have thought back then about a 12 or 13 year old in that they're young but like old enough to start being a little more adult but still young enough that they're still that technically they're children yes <laughs> uh -huh, exactly so anyway yes romeo decides he's in love with juliet and he finds out who she is but he kind of just doesn't care and i do think it's very interesting one part of the scene that brings in that forgiveness aspect. Tybalt recognizes Romeo's voice as a Montague. I don't think he knows it's Romeo, but mm -hmm. he knows it's a Montague. And he goes and tells Lord Capulet, and Capulet's response is, response is, content thee, gentle cuz, let him alone. He bears him like a portly gentleman, and to say truth, Verona brags of him. 
to be a virtuous and well-governed youth. I would not for the wealth of all this town here in my house do him disparagement. Therefore be patient, take no note of him. It is my will, the which if thou respect, show a fair presence and put off these frowns and ill beseeming semblance for a feast. And so he's telling Tybalt like, it's okay. I've heard that he's a good person and I don't feel right disparaging that reputation in my house. So leave it alone. So Lord Capulet seems more inclined to be willing to show some level of forgiveness and moving on, perhaps not 100% yet, but he's willing to work with that. Whereas Tybalt is kind of just a hot-headed youth who just wants to run into these rebellious kind of violent rages. And Lord Capulet's grown older since whatever happened happened. And so he's a lot more willing to move past the situation and just be like, you know what? Let's focus. There's more important things right now than that, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. No, I did think that was interesting. I was like, oh, it's fascinating that there's even a feud going on if like the lords are like, well, I mean, he's a good person, so. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder, too, if it was even just because of the prince. I mean, he is yes, older and true. wiser, so he knows, like, we're going to be, like, I don't want to deal with <laughs> whatever punishment yes. is coming my mm-hmm. way as the head of the household if something goes wrong here. And so, yeah, yeah. I think that, and then, it, like you said, it's in his house. It's at a party. Like, who wants to screw up a party for everybody? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that there are lots of different reasons that he could be thinking that way, but all of them do kind of point back to the seed of being willing to kind of move on. It's not so important that it's like, no, that's a Montague. Get him out, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, like we said, it's a process of forgiveness. And so yeah. I think he's at a point in the process where he hasn't actually forgiven them. Like, there's yeah. nothing in that speech that says it doesn't matter. Like, we should treat them nicely. Right. There's nothing like that. But it is kind of a, oh, that's all right. Let's just not worry about it right now. Let's prioritize other things over yeah. it, which is an important step, is being able to move forward a little bit past mm-hmm. it. So, yes, they meet, and there's these the sweet little flirtation scene with them, and then the party oh, so ends, <laughs> and they leave. And then Romeo comes back later that night, and we have the famous balcony scene, which was so sweet. Our Romeo in this production did a great job oh of just gosh. being just the little desperate, melodram- <laughs> slightly so melodramatic cute. lover. Like, he just <laughs> was so... He played it up really well and did a great job, like... During the Juliet's famous monologue, A Rose by Any Other Name Would yes. Smell as Sweet What's in a name? discussion. What's in a name? He's so cute because he's just overhearing it. If you haven't read the play or seen it, he is overhearing that part and he hears her say his name and he's like, <gasps> He was reacting he was so great. So great. Just very realistic for a 17 year old boy and then when he's supposed to go out like it really felt like he was just so overcome with emotion and so excited that he had to go talk to her right at that very second he couldn't stay hidden and she's like whoa what and then she she was so scared she did such yeah they just (laughs) they did so great okay such good acting side note so i had heard high school musical is a retelling of romeo and juliet which makes sense when you think about it that way but I just realized there's a literal balcony scene in that movie. <gasps> and I was like, I never about that. <laughs> just sitting here, I was like, wait a second. He I was goes to about, her on her balcony. Yeah, he does. <gasps> 
I'm like, wow. It's like they really like actually thought through like Romeo and Juliet. And is she is she like singing and he's like listening to her or is that not it? No. No. They just okay. talk on the phone. They just and talk. He's like, turn around. And, and then he says turn around and then he starts singing to her. Yes. That's right. Uh-huh. So they oh don't have like gosh. the overheard monologue at that point. But yeah. he does get on the balcony, which I think is very wow. interesting. Anyway, that I was never such made that connection. Um, a side note but oh well that's Um, so awesome (laughs) within all of this there's a lot of really interesting comments that are is great foreshadowing but also symbolic of the overall issue which I think was very interesting Romeo starts his monologue before Juliet starts hers he says but soft what light through yonder window breaks it is the east and Juliet is the sun arise fair sun and kill the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief that thou her maid art far more fair than she and I think in some ways this kind of made me think about how Juliet and Romeo are the catalyst for the sun to come out and the forgiveness to happen and so so symbolic of you I know I was like whoa wait especially that idea of kill the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief like they're already tired of this feud and you can see that hints of that that we've already discussed that they're kind of over it but not enough to actually end it yeah and then it says thou her maid art far more fair than she being like these are more these people these children are more important than this feud and so we can move on let's just get over it and eventually unfortunately it's in a very dark and tragic way it's not a sunny happy thing necessarily by the end but these characters are interesting are introducing a new phase of the lives of these families which will be really important one last note i guess on that balcony scene with the um tis but thy name that is my enemy thou art thyself though not a montague that's really important to me because she's starting to move past the name, which at this point, the feud is really about their names. Like, again, we don't know what the feud was even about to begin right. with, and I don't think most of them really know either. But now it's just like, oh, you're Montague, therefore I hate you. Or you're a Capulet, therefore I hate you. Instead of recognizing the person beyond that name and beyond that thing that gets in the way of you recognizing them. And I think that's always the first step in forgiveness is moving past that. I don't want to say shallow because sometimes things can be very deeply rooted that you are angry about. There are serious things that we have to forgive people for. uh Yes. (laughs) So it's not a shallow thing, but just that one thing, I guess, that filters your ability to see them as a child of God, whatever that is. And so being able to learn to look past that is a key step. I said first step, but I think it just depends on what process you're actually going through and what it's what the situation specifically is. But it is a key step at some point during the process to be able to look beyond your frustration and into the heart of the person you're feeling that anger towards. So then we meet another key player, and that's Friar Lawrence, and he becomes very central to making everything happen. Basically, I mean, the emotions of the characters are driving it forward, but he's the one who gives all the tools to enable things to happen. So he's a good friend of Romeo, and he is kind of reprimanding Romeo about his fast-moving love (laughs) through Rosalind and then now Juliet and some of the potential problems with Romeo himself and his 
hearts, but he does say Romeo has asked Friar Lawrence to marry them and in secret and Friar Lawrence says in one respect I'll thy assistant be for this alliance may so happy prove to turn your household's rancor to pure love and so he recognizes right from the beginning this could be a really good thing like this could change everything yeah and he that's what he hopes for both families but unfortunately it doesn't happen the way he probably would have liked it does happen though it does. so it does he's happen. a key player in making the whole thing work i think he also is a little interested in romeo's sexual purity yes <laughs> there yes. is a line in there where you know it's the middle of the night Romeo's been under Juliet's balcony all night and he comes running to Friar Lawrence and Friar Lawrence is like, oh no, have you been with Rosalind? Yes. <laughs> yes. And Romeo's uh-huh. like, Rosalind who? But yeah, so I think he's a little concerned about this teenage boy and his hormones and he's like, yeah, I'll marry you. I'll marry you yes. guys. <laughs> I'll do it. Let's do this. Protection. <laughs> yes, spiritual protection. Spiritual but, protection. <laughs> but yes, I think you can tell, I mean, he's kind of a father figure to Romeo yes. in this play, especially in the adaptation we saw. And Romeo clearly trusts him more than anybody. The fact that he's going to him for this. Granted, he he's limited on who he can go to to marry them. I mean, but yeah, yeah. Still, the fact that he this is he's also the only one he tells. Like he doesn't even tell Benvolio, who is a more peacemaking kind of person. Yeah. So it there's definitely a strong relationship there. And so I think that Friar Lawrence is very aware of the situation with these families. And Romeo's probably vented to him about it. You kind of get the feeling like they've talked about it. And like I mentioned earlier, Romeo seems the to be the type who doesn't care about it as much as everybody else. Yeah. And so I'm sure he's been like too even though he wasn't wanting to like be friends with the Capulets he was probably like oh my gosh I think it's so silly or whatever plus it's impacted the whole town anyway so he's known he obviously knows about it through that but I think yeah. also Romeo's probably but there to has to be it. there has to be something there that tells Romeo that the friar won't be offended over this yes. match like uh-huh. the friar has done or said something or even just been the kind of person where Romeo knows and trusts that he's not going to freak out over this idea. Yes. And I think probably part of that is Friar Lawrence seems to be a very forgiving person too throughout the play, which is very, it's a great example, I guess, to Romeo probably of that. And that's why Romeo's maybe not as drawn into, as quickly drawn into the feud as most of the others are. Yeah. I think Friar Lawrence seeks forgiveness as well. We see him make uh mistakes. He makes mistakes. (laughs) For sure. um, And he he recognizes them and uh, takes responsibility for them and and talks to people about them. So I think that that's a a great example, too, is seeking the forgiveness of others as well as giving it. Absolutely. And I think it makes it easier to forgive others when we seek forgiveness because Mm. we understand what it feels like to be forgiven and to forgive and so i think it's kind of a cyclical it helps both sides to do both yeah Um, when you understand the relief that comes from each perspective you're more eager to create that relief for yourself and others yes absolutely so then they do get married in secret it just works they just get married just works out like the next day i believe this play takes place over like four days yeah so it's really fast 
and i really expected something to go wrong i like i forgot that they actually got married not gonna lie right? I know, <laughs> they just married pretty, the whole time it happened so fast like yeah i didn't i didn't remember it being that fast honestly I was like, oh they're already married okay, yeah there we are so that happened and then we have the first really tragic scene and that's where we have tybalt threatening romeo in the streets and romeo refuses to fight him because he just married juliet so tybalt's his cousin now basically even though they he doesn't know that he's like romeo's like i know that and so he's basically he's like i love thee because you're my wife's cousin awesome. and best one of her best friends and yeah it's really amazing of him that he's like i can't tell you why but like we're good dude basically is what he's saying but tybalt refuses to let it go and so he starts going into fight and mercutio one of romeo's other friends who's not part of either family he's just there gets offended on romeo's behalf and decides to fight him and amidst the fighting mercutio ends up being killed by tybalt and mercutio is actually a friend of the prince and so this is extra bad on that level as well but romeo then gets very angry as expected and decides to take his revenge against tybalt right after and so that at that point romeo does fight tybalt and wins and kills tybalt so then we have two dead people <laughs> And it's interesting, like, going back to the idea of vengeance and lack of forgiveness being a poison that infects so many more people than just those involved. Mercutio, like I said, is not part of either house. And so he repeatedly says as he's dying that a plague on both your houses, like, he blames their feud for his death, as he should, because that is the reason why he's dying. Um, plus he, he threw himself in the middle of it. He also did jump in to fight Tibble. Like, but... it's a little unfair, but the point yes. is clear. Uh-huh, yes, yeah. that it's because of the feud. <laughs> and I think it's interesting, too, because he says a couple times, he says generally similar things. So he says, I, I, a scratch, a scratch, Mary, tis enough. He then says, no, tis not so deep as a well, nor so wide as a church door, but tis enough, twill serve. And mm-hmm. so he's he's acknowledging that the cut he received doesn't look very big but it was in the right spot or wrong spot however you look at it and so he knows he's going to die and i think it's interesting that he it's the idea of it's such a small thing but it was hitting in just the right spot that it caused a death and i think with the feud it probably started with something so small small enough that like I said, nobody even knows what the heck it is. And, but it is enough. It's enough that it's caused so much hurt to the point where now two people are dead because of this small little whatever. And that's what comes of lack of forgiveness is small or big, it's going to be enough to destroy you if you're not willing to do what you can to heal that wound. Wow, we're just running right through this. So next we have Juliet find out. And I love her strength of being like, you know, Tibble is my cousin and I love him. But Romeo's still my husband. And even though they haven't known each other that long, she feels like she knows him well enough to know it's more complicated than him just killing her cousin. 
And I think it's impressive that she's willing to stand by him. I think I do want to mention it's a very specific circumstance. And that if you're in a circumstance like that ever, as dramatic as it is, I know there are people who are going to experience that. Let God guide you as to how to deal with the forgiveness process. Because it's going to look different for everyone. But in their case, Juliet feels that she needs to still be with Romeo and still support him. That's the decision she makes, even though it does anger her family and the nurse and her friends but then in between this Romeo goes to Friar Lawrence because that's a place where he feels safe and is away from his family and oh gosh I'll let Kariana talk a little bit about this scene because it was really sweet and emotional and just very much showcases that support system that can be so important in that forgiveness process as well all right, so before I we talk about go into that scene further, um, I just wanted to share a well-known scripture and kind of talk about how I think it relates to kind of the situation that we have going on right now. I wrote this one down, so I have this one. <laughs> um, Matthew five forty four. It's a uh, Jesus says, "Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you." I saw a post online recently where somebody was kind of talking about this, and a lot of the comments are pretty negative about it. You know, kind of sharing the message that you just shared, but in a very negative way, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> where it's you need to let God guide you in your situation and everybody th- different things are right for different people. And sometimes you need to stand by your husband and sometimes you really need to not. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, but a lot of people I think take this to an extreme and say like, Oh, well I was taught this and that's the reason I stayed in an abusive marriage for this long. And, and that's really sad, you know, and I, I feel sympathetic for those people, but I don't, believe that it actually negates the lesson that Jesus is teaching, (laughs) (laughs) which is why it's important to receive personal revelation and pray and let the spirit guide you. Um, But I think thinking about this verse and how it relates to the Montagues and the Capulets, obviously, so it's interesting The the families in total aren't doing this right they're unable Tybalt is not mm. loving his enemy and they're the very fact that there is a feud shows that they are continuing to just fight against each other and ignore this this advice but then Romeo and Juliet interestingly don't care like we've talked about right like both mm-hmm. of them meet each other and it's not even a consideration of yeah. not being together maybe for like one line like maybe they saying, oh shoot she's a Capulet and oh shoot he's a Montague and then they both like, and then on. we're past mm-hmm. it yeah and so you know I think it turns really fast it's it's they're loving their enemies and it, it turns really fast to blessing them and doing good for them and praying for them right but then once Tybalt kills Mercutio, he kind of loses that. Yes. <laughs> he gets uh-huh. angry that he lets that go and that love disappears in his hate. He kind of lets that hate overpower. But then it's really impressive that Juliet is able to still kind of move past that. Mm-hmm. And um, she brings up a really interesting point, which is that Romeo killed her cousin, but if he hadn't, then her cousin would have killed her husband. Yeah. Uh (laughs) So she's like, so I was losing somebody who I love either way. So like, you know, what are you going to do about it? But it's just this really impressive ability to love and bless those who persecute you and use you because he hasn't done anything to her specifically, but obviously they feel this on a family level. So there is a level of him having hurt 
her in a really intense way. Um, but she's able to look past that in a way that Romeo wasn't able to in that moment. Yes. And so it's kind of, I thought of that verse and was like, that's a really interesting different applications and seeing it not working and working. And Romeo really causes a lot of problems in yes, the story. He does. Um, by doing this, like things could have potentially worked out <laughs> if, he, mm-hmm. if he hadn't made that really rash hasty action by not loving his enemy. So mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, this... The scene between Romeo and Friar Lawrence is, oh, it just, it was so good. It just touched my little heart. Um, The Romeo was just so cute. I just loved him. I just loved him. (laughs) Um, And so he is just devastated. There's all these emotions. I think, I I believe he feels regret for killing Tibble on a personal level. Yes. I think he regrets Uh that. But then, more importantly, he thinks that Juliet won't be with him anymore. (laughs) And and so he's just literally on the floor. (laughs) He's on the floor. He's crying. He's wailing. He's lamenting. He's just, it's just all these emotions. It's very loud. (laughs) Yes. And there's part of it that's almost humorous. Like, I definitely laughed one or two times because he just (laughs) sounds so melodramatic. Yes. But like, like, at the same time, like, he did just murder someone. So like, he has every right to be that melodramatic. But it was kind of humorous. Do you have the scene tabbed? Because I'd love to actually, since we have the book, I I'd love to not misquote the friar. <laughs> oh, we should mention that the nurse has come in and so talked the to them and there. said, Juliet wants you to come talk with her, basically come tonight and talk okay. and other things. So, yes, that's that's where they're at. So the nurse is there and he has heard her say Juliet wants to talk. So Friar Lawrence, he, he yells out, he goes, hold thy desperate hand. Aren't thou a man? And that, that was the part that got me. <laughs> he says, thy form cries out, thou art. Thy tears are womanish. Thy wild acts to know the unreasonable fury of a beast. You know, not to say anything terrible about women but yes. <laughs> you know it's just it made me laugh it's it's funny you know he's basically telling Romeo like pull yourself together yeah. right mm-hmm. like you're fine dude and so but then he goes on this whole tirade to Romeo kind of like reprimanding him telling him that like you know kind of just just basically trying to get him to pull himself together um and Romeo is just kind of like watching him and then there's not another part that broke my heart more in the whole show. And we're talking about Romeo and Juliet saying something. Romeo is just kind of like, just like looking and the friar is like on his knee. They're both on their knees and he's just like yelling and then yell talking at him. And Romeo just like looked up and like put his arms around him. Yeah, just <laughs> he just like him. reached up and hugged him and like pulled him right close. And oh my goodness, it was just this sweet, amazing, very child and parental moment between them that was just beautiful and shows this kind of love and trust that Romeo has. You know, yes. you can't have that moment with somebody unless you know and love and trust them that they want what's best for you and are trying to do right by you. 
And so it just says so much. I loved that action and the performance we saw. And I feel like it's important to mention with that scene that it shows that God never lets us go through the forgiveness cycle or process alone. We will always have him, of course, and often he'll send angels to help us through it. He's not going to leave it, leave us to just do it and make the decision to move on. In that talk I mentioned earlier, she says, but the Savior will grant you the ability to forgive anyone who has mistreated you in any way. And that was actually a quote by President Nelson. And so no matter what it is, God will provide a way for you to do it. And often that's through the support of other people. Like it's okay. Like I said earlier, God has understanding for what we're experiencing and he still expects us to forgive, but he doesn't expect all forgiveness to look the same as far as our actions post and during the forgiveness. And he also does not expect us to do it alone. He expects us to have love involved when from other people towards us as we're doing that and going through that. And that's why we have families found and born into. That's why we have wards and bishops who are there to help support us through some of those things. And so turning to other people when you're going through that forgiveness process is so important because God wants you to. God wants you to feel that strength and support because yeah there's some things especially that it will be impossible for us to just choose to forget you know we're gonna need some level of help divine and earthly to be able to get through it for a lot of those things and also just know exactly how to go about it given our specific circumstance is it a circumstance where i need to forgive and stay around this person and prioritize our relationship over the problem or is it I need to prioritize my relationship with God over this problem, but that doesn't mean I need to have a relationship with this person anymore. So there is different situations, but he'll always provide someone to help us through the emotions involved. So then moving back to Juliet, so they do spend the night together and then Juliet finds out that her parents expect her to marry Paris, who is mentioned earlier in the play, and she refuses and her father and mother are shocked. They're grieving because of Tybalt's loss and now they have this perfect angelic daughter saying no to them and seemingly no to a situation that will be her security and her hope and possibly her only opportunity for that. They don't know anything about Romeo, of course, beyond that he killed their nephew and so that is all they're seeing and so they're very upset with her but she and then the nurse even betrays her ultimately and says no I think you need to marry Paris like Romeo's basically dead to you and it just doesn't mean anything anymore but Julia is very loyal and so she refused to get she refuses to give into the hate that is being born within the nurse and her parents towards Romeo. She wants to focus on love, which again showcases that idea of these two bringing about the forgiveness process for their, for their families, um, ultimately again in a tragic way, but they are very much catalysts for that experience for them. So she decides to plot with Friar Lawrence and that's where everything goes extra wrong. Unfortunately, it seems like it's going right, but that's part of why it's extra wrong. <laughs> so we have Friar Lawrence has the special poison that will basically make you seem to be dead, but after a day or two, you'll wake back up. And so he gives it to Juliet. He says, I'm going to tell Romeo about it, but then this way you guys can run away together, basically. And so Juliet decides to take it 
And this was another incredible scene in the adaptation. This is where my jaw was was dropped. It was amazing. Her Um, monologue. Yes. So Julia has a monologue before she takes the poison. She's in bed. And they mentioned, and I can imagine this too, like in my limited experience, that this monologue is often read or performed in a very like pensive manner where she's thinking about doing this and is like, oh, I'm not sure. This could be really dangerous and whatever. But like the words are very much afraid like she's afraid of what she's about to do and so they had this actress who did a phenomenal job like we said show that fear like she was freaking out it was pretty violent actually like her words Mm -hmm. and her the way that she was delivering it was very violent like shouting talking really fast like it was very much a panicky feeling and so she's terrified that she like maybe the poison won't work right and i'll end up having to marry paris or worse maybe it will work but then I'll wake up in the tomb and nobody will come and get me and I'll just die in there from lack of oxygen or maybe it will work too well and it will just kill me or like I don't like she just doesn't know what's gonna happen and she's really taking a lot of risks but then she does decide to just go for it um and so she dies or fake dies and her parents her nurse finds her and that's probably one of the other scenes that made me emotional was seeing the nurse's reaction was just because she doesn't realize it at first and it's that classic like oh time to get up and like going down she's like oh you silly girl what are you doing still in bed and then realizes that she is dead or seemingly dead and yeah the grief and then the parents coming in and the mom oh mom's grieving over their lost children gets me every time i just can't and they really played that up in this adaptation which i do remember someone in the seminar saying they've never been very emotional during that scene and i'm sure part of it is because you know it's fake and so you're like oh she's not really dead it's like whatever and you don't usually really like the parents anyway and so you're like whatever but in this case you really you've already seen their grief over Tybalt and so also imagining like that grief coming again with Juliet is just heartbreaking their only living child it was a super heartbreaking performance for sure yeah they very much somebody said it like this and I really appreciated it they paused on the grief Mm -hmm. it was like they set up this scene of everyone grieving Juliet and then really paused on it and just gave them a minute to act it out. Yeah. And you were like, so you were just kind of stuck in this grief for longer than they you expected to it, be. Rush through it. Yeah. yeah. And so it was really, and the friar is there too. And, and he's he just kind so of standing guilty. there looking guilty because he knows it's fake, but he can't say anything. And he's watching these parents grieve over their lost daughter in my reading and studying and preparation um this was another it's another very famous verse that (laughs) when i read it i was like oh my gosh what an interesting application christ is crucified in luke 23 32 is the specific one father forgive them for they know what not what they do and i thought it was really interesting to kind of apply this to all of the adults in the play (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. you know where it's It's kind of a back and forth on this. They know not what they do, you know, because you could say about the Jews that crucified Christ, like they, they kind of like, they knew that what they were doing was wrong. They knew they were manipulating Mm -hmm. the system and killing an innocent man. They knew that, Mm -hmm. but he was still able 
to kind of look past that and be like, but they don't have this eternal perspective. They don't understand everything, you know, Mm -hmm. like they don't know you the way I do. So please forgive them, you know? And I was kind of thinking about that with the parents. The parents don't even know Romeo's in the picture. Like they are Mm -hmm. missing so much information. All they're trying to do is get through their loss and set up their daughter with a good match, you know? Uh And we talked a lot about that with the actors and it made them very, very empathetic characters throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the friar you know, is kind of the catalyst for allowing them to kill themselves. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's just trying to set, he's just trying to get them out of there. He's just trying to let them be happy. His initial intention was to bring these families together. I think by now he's realized it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but he's just like, okay, well, let me just get these kids out and let them be happy together. Right. And then the nurse, she just loves Juliet. She just loves her so much and she knows. So she's going along with it, but then Tybalt makes her too mad, but then, And so now she doesn't know what's going on. And so it's just, but she didn't realize that her betrayal could be part of what led Juliet to take this dramatic step. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just all of these things of people just trying to do their best for the people they love and messing up. And I just think like, man, like they just don't know. They just don't know what they're doing. Like we have to forgive Mm -hmm. them because they just don't know. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Even though they do know, they know enough that they shouldn't, but they don't know everything. And it's just this, you know. (laughs) It's missing information. There's lack of understanding. And yeah. Which is why I want to be forgiven too. Because even though I know what I know, I'm just so dumb, you know. And I just want to be forgiven (laughs) for all the dumb things that I do. So that's kind of thinking about that in relation to all of those adults who are just you know kind of really out of control in this situation Uh yeah (laughs) for sure all right so then we're kind of gonna go pretty much to the end i think at this point so next step is friar lawrence is not able to let romeo know that juliet's not actually dead because his letter is not able to reach Romeo due to some issues with the plague and someone being exposed to the plague. The person who he sends, the messenger he sends, gets exposed to the plague. And so he has to go into quarantine. And so Romeo is not getting this message in time. Which we really can totally get now. Yes, the idea of like things not going to plan and not working out yes. and getting cut off because <laughs> yeah. of quarantine. Quarantine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so luckily we have phones. <laughs> but Romeo! Anyway. <laughs> text him yo Julia is not dead repeat not, Julia is I not promise dead. <laughs> so that unfortunately that word does not get through and so Romeo does learn that she is dead and I think it's interesting because the exact phrase that the friend uses is I saw her laid low in her kindred's vaults and I was just thinking about the fact how their death comes about is she's laid low in her family's vault like it's she's down with her family and her family is a lot of the cause for where she's at right now and she's being buried with all of the anger and the feuding and the lack of forgiveness and then Romeo ends up buying actual poison um, from an apothecary. And then he goes and he ends up kind of skipping around a lot. He ends up killing Paris, who's at the grave grieving as well. And so he they fight. And so he ends up killing Paris. And then he goes down to Juliet. 
and he takes the poison and dies just as she wakes up and he realizes the mistake he's made. She gets to see him die and he gets to learn that she's alive. Yes. So heartbreaking. (laughs) Oh, your heart just drops into your stomach. I think that's the other thing that I hated about this in ninth grade. I was like, if it could be like an hour in between, I feel like I need this. So yes. Uh-huh. If it's not like at the same time, yes, just as you're going through, <laughs> yeah. and I think actually, um, in the play, it's not necessarily written that it happens mm. at the same time. It's I just think the most dramatic does. way to do but it. But yes, I'm like, <laughs> it's just a really dramatic and great way to do it. Yes. Um, interestingly enough, when I was reading the script, I found out that Friar Lawrence actually gets there before, just as Juliet wakes up and sees Romeo. Oh my! And then gosh. he's like, "Come away, we gotta leave." And then she's like, no, I'm going to stay. And then he goes to get help. And then she does it. So. Stop. Yeah. So sad. No. So (laughs) Fire Lawrence comes back. Yes. To find her dead because he left. Mm -hmm. (gasps) With the dagger. And so. Yes. That's so much worse. So sad for Fire Lawrence. So, I mean, I kind of like both ways as far as the things that you think about between the two ways but anyway that just made this so so much more heartbreaking it's so sad so (laughs) yes but she says poison i see hath been his timeless end and i think it's interesting it reminds me of that common quote that we've mentioned before that anger and vengeance and a desire for vengeance is like drinking a poison expecting it to kill someone else yes and i think it's interesting because in some cases that lack of being able to forgive is a poison that can kill someone but it's not necessarily the person you'd want it to kill mm. in fact it's often going to be someone else you love because you're mm. hurting them with your own anger and you're hurting yourself and so i think it's interesting that they both poison themselves and that especially with juliet it's her kissing him and sucking the poison off of his lips <laughs> that kills her because it's like these two families that their relationship with each other is what's killing these two and so i thought that was a very interesting to think thing to think about that that it's poison specifically she does also use romeo's dagger to stab herself just to make sure the job is finished but i did think that the poison aspect was very interesting as far Mm -hmm. as that went especially because they both threatened to use the dagger so you would have thought that romeo would have use the dagger because he's threatened to do that before and i think there's all sorts of reasons you could discuss of why he doesn't but i do think symbolically as far as the forgiveness theme goes and lack thereof that's a very interesting choice to have him take poison Mm -hmm. so then the families come together and this is where we get our reconcilement post all of the heartbreak so the prince is basically like look what your feud has done is taken away your children and your only children at that like how can you be okay with this anymore at this point basically um specifically the prince says where be these enemies capulet montague see what a scourge is laid upon your hate that heaven finds means to kills your kill your joys with love and i for winking at your discords too have lost a brace kinsmen all are punished and so even the prince is like even i've been punished because of your lack of ability to forgive and he's like i know i should have done more to encourage you but also you are your choices are impacting me Mm -hmm. as well 
And immediately after, Lord Capulet says, Oh, Brother Montague, give me thy hand. This is my daughter's jointure, for no more can I demand. And Montague replies, But I can give thee more, for I will ray her statue in pure gold. And so they both are like, The only thing we can really do is forgive each other at this point after everything this has taken from us. And I think it's interesting because really they could have continued to be angry. Oh, they They could have blamed each other for this situation. They could have been like, You better should have watched over your son better you should have watched over your daughter better or anything like that or you yeah they could have still blamed each other but they are willing to it's enough to get them to recognize what really needs to happen to avoid any more pain just a couple of thoughts that like tie together with this it's maybe a little bit sad because you know it's nice to focus on like oh yay they like forgave each other Mm -hmm. we get to move on now but i thought of the verse in alma 32 where alma is preaching to the poor in whatever city he's in and he says therefore blessed are they who humble themselves without being compelled to be humble and i kind of thought like you know romeo and juliet humble themselves because of love and they're like they're willing to humble themselves and kind of get over all of this but their families are more forcibly humbled into this state of being willing to forgive and so they've lost because of it you know like they were forcibly humbled and so they had to go through this tragedy but they are still blessed for humbling themselves right in the future they're Mm -hmm. going to be blessed for it because they could make the choice like you were just saying to not do that and then they wouldn't be blessed (laughs) but because they're being forcibly humbled here and allow that to take hold and forgive each other they're able to be blessed but they did have to go through something terrible first so like Mm -hmm. humble yourself instead (laughs) it's a lot easier to come to your own decision to just attempt the forgiveness again it's going to take time for a lot of cases but yeah you promoting that in yourself and encouraging that in yourself is going to be much better than having to be forced into it Yeah. yeah and along that same vein of making the choice to actually forgive. I read this great talk. It's a little bit older, I think from the 70s, um, called Forgiveness, the Ultimate Form of Love by Marion D. Hanks. And he said in talking about being willing to forgive people for, you know, whatever kind of things they've done against you, he said, the nature of our response to such situations may well determine the nature and quality of our lives here and eternally. A courageous friend, her faith refined by many afflictions, said to me only hours ago, humiliation must come before exaltation. And I thought that was really beautiful and interesting. And, you know, how we how we respond to whatever situation you're in, whether somebody's coming to you asking for forgiveness or it's something a little more dramatic like this, (laughs) or it's just you on your knees talking to God, you know, however you respond to the situation is going to have a huge impact, not only on your eternal life, but the here and now it makes our ability to forgive just makes such a difference to us in our lives. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think I'm just going to end on a little quote from that talk that I've been reading from about the Savior's hand in the forgiveness process. It's the last paragraph of this talk. It says, Jesus Christ is your personal Messiah, your loving Redeemer and Savior who knows the pleadings of your heart. He desires your healing and happiness. He loves you. He weeps with you in your sorrows and rejoices to make you whole. 
May we take heart and take his loving hand that is ever extended as we walk the healing path of forgiveness. It really is a healing path and something that we need to accept from our Savior. It's one of the many gifts of his atonement and it's something that is meant to bring us joy. It's not meant, it will be hard, but ultimately it will bring us greater peace than we could hope for any other way when dealing with the suffering that comes from others' decisions. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There you go. So there is that great time at the Shakespeare Festival. Great discussion on Romeo and Juliet. So we hope you learned something today and enjoyed our little chat. If you did, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Also leave a like if you're watching on YouTube and a five-star review if you are listening on any podcast channels. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram as well at God and All Things Podcast. We do pretty regular posts over there. We give hints about upcoming episodes as well as just like in this case we talked a little bit about posted a little bit about our experiences at Shakespeare Festival so if you'd like to see that go ahead and check that out there and comment on things tell us what you think about what do you hate about Romeo and Juliet or what do you love about it and what's your favorite Shakespeare play tell us absolutely (laughs) please do and if you don't use Instagram you can always email us those that information will always be in our show notes also if you're curious about what I'm reading in general you can check me out over on my other YouTube channel, Good Strong Words. I just do a lot of various things discussing books over there, and sometimes Kariana pops up in those videos as well. Oh, <laughs> so that's usually the first vlogs time hearing and stuff. about it. <laughs> so, yes, now you know. You're I guess I should watch the YouTube channel. <laughs> Ouch. Anyway, just kidding. Um, anyway, so yes, be sure to check us out over there, and we hope you have a wonderful week. Keep remembering to see God in all things, and we will see you next time. Bye.